was December 1974, the end of one of the most tumultuous years in American politics. The Watergate scandal had exploded. President Nixon had resigned. But then, just three days before Christmas, legendary investigative reporter Seymour Hersh drops what he came to call the big one. Huge CIA operation reported in U.S. against anti-war forces, other dissidents, in Nixon years. It recounted a massive spying operation conducted by the CIA over many years in clear violation of its charter. Hersh had broken and went on to break some of the epic stories of our time. Me Lai, Henry Kissinger's wiretapping and his role in destabilizing the government of Chile, Abu Ghraib, and many others. But Hirsch's story, telling some of the dirty secrets of the CIA, had legs that play out to this day. It helped to create the idea of a deep state within the U.S. intelligence and law enforcement community, a permanent secret government that operates according to its own rules and without any oversight. It is a concept that recently has been exploited by Donald Trump and his allies in their attacks against Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. We'll talk to Seymour Hersh and the story of his big one, as recounted in his new book, Reporter, on today's Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So, Seymour Hirsch, uh, thanks for coming on, and congrats on the new book. Yep, thank you. Um, so, there's so much in here that's a fascinating read uh, for all of us in the profession. But I want to focus on your CIA reporting, because I do think, first of all, the backstories you tell are just gripping and uh, worthy of uh, much retelling. But also because I think that in many ways, those are the stories that still live with us and reshape the way the American people think about their government. So let's take that CIA spying story and how it came about. And I want you to talk about um, sort of the, the origins of it in that memo that you write to Max Frankel, like over a year before. Max Frankel, by the way, who was the Washington bureau chief for the New York Times. Right. Yes. This is right. 72 I was hired by the Times. I was actually at the New Yorker, um, working for a couple of years for William Sean, and I was hired by Abe, with whom I had some testy exchanges. Abe Rosenthal. With. Abe Rosenthal, right. who was um, a great editor. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a difficult person, I guess, like I am. So we had our our ins and outs. But anyway, and uh, I was assigned because, frankly, he was worried about the Vietnam coverage. It was he thought it was very soft. The Washington bureau was full of great people, but the the New York Times always saw itself as a representative of America and the president. And so it was a, a, a weird place to be for me to be. I wanted to be there. So I go to Washington, I'm, and I'm doing my stuff. And uh, in the book, I name one of my sources because I'm tired of being, you know, this notion that if we don't, if we use anonymous sources, we don't have real sources. And one of the persons with whom I knew was a, was was Bob Kiley, who was... Um, he initially he was a Notre Dame kid, very bright, worked for the CIA in domestic spying, worked for and that program. And then because he was so skilled, Helms brought him in for about five years. As Richard a, Helms, who the, was director of the CIA. Way to go, director of the CIA at yeah. the time. A very smooth guy, um, uh, very urbane, um, social. Uh, brought him in, and um, um, I mentioned him only because I'm, you know, you know what's to, what it's all about journalistically is – 
um, you got to find those guys in the CIA, in the military, and there are a lot of them in the State Department, in the, in the bureaucracy, who take that oath of office to the Constitution. They really mean it. They're not doing it for their boss or for their, uh, their general or for the president. And you find those guys and you stay with them. I, I, I've, I've known some guys for 30 years. I still have lunches with people. So you stay with them. And, and that's what I was doing. And this guy... How'd you find him? Through a guy that ran a bakery named Mark Furstenberg. Here, he runs... Uh, well, no, oh, like, wait a Mark, second. we just... We eat at Mark Furstenberg's first. old restaurant, Bread First. He we didn't have it did, anymore. We just did, yeah. But uh, I walk by it every day when I walk to the Metro, and he's never introduced me to a secret CIA he, source. His family was a family. His friend, he had a, his his uh, sister um, uh, started one of the great bookstores in Washington, Politics and Prose. Right. And they were a family out of out of Mark was a family out of um, Baltimore, um, and very progressive, very political. And Mark lived in Boston. And Kylie left the CIA. He says seventy, but it was a little later, seventy-one more like. He was in, in very upset about lying about Vietnam and also domestic spying, et cetera, et cetera. But and at some point, Furstenberg, who was a family, we were. Uh, it's all very silly in a way. Um, his one of his sisters uh, uh, sent a child to nursery school with one of our children, and so we became friends. And I met her brother, and her brother knew what I was doing. And one day he said, I, "I'm in Boston. I'm working for Mayor White, and there's a guy there you ought to know. His name is Bob Kiley. He's working. He, he led, led. Bob Kiley became very famous in his own way because he ended up running MTA, the Transit in Boston, and then he ran Transit in New York, and then he ran Transit in London." Big profiles written about him. In the After working for the CIA on domestic supply. Uh, and and Helms' assistant being privy. Wow. Privy to meetings with Angleton and Helms. Jesus, James Jesus Angleton. James, the counterintelligence sort of psycho that lived for a long time uh, in torturing everybody. Because be he believed the CIA was penetrated by Russian mole. He spent his whole career trying to find a, the mole, right? I mean, a, apparently anybody that ever lived in Russia or studied Russia well, before joining the CIA was on his list. Yeah. So he had a lot of people on his list. And I will tell you this much. Um, his list had the, the code words internally, ZR, which is the same code words that showed up in, in the church investigation, the investigation that began after my story. After your story. And in that investigation, they discovered ZR was the code word used for the assassinations that were going on at the time. The code ZR, ZR rifle was the code word. Remember that? Anyway, right, so, so let, we're let, back to that. Right, long side, let's just let's back step back for one second. Let, but, I want to step what, Well, let me, just finish this, okay, let me just right. finish how I, well, Here's the point. Yeah. You're asking I about ask tradecraft. Here's yeah, how you do yeah, it. Okay. So uh, he said, you better talk to this guy. So I called him up. And I had information, too. I knew that the CIA was chasing a boat underwater, a sub Russian submarine. And I knew the code Glomar word. Explorer. Glomar Explorer. And, right. I, and I panicked. I went to a dinner with... I'd worked for Eugene McCarthy as, when, he, when wow. he was running for president. And uh, McCarthy was one of those liberal Democrats that was also very anti-communist and a very devout Catholic and very private about it. And all of a sudden... We're surrounded by all these guys that I later found out. I found out while I was working for them. One guy was chief of station here, chief of station there. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a dinner at one of their houses with some people still in the agency. My wife and I went in 70. And I said, what's going on? I mentioned this Jennifer Colburn. You could see everybody freak out. I, 
you know, in the co secret world, when you find a code word, which is silly because they can right. change him, that somehow it drives them nuts that you know it. I mean, what's the sense of being so secret if some punk reporter comes in and knows it anyway? And so I learned something about the agency working for McCarthy a lot because he did some things. He did favors for the CIA, and I, I write about it in the book. Um, I respect it, but I write about it in the book anyway. And so... Um, um, I talked to Kylie. Kylie was the guy that when I would learn things about the CIA domestic spying, the CIA lying about Vietnam, the CIA operations in Chile, he would tell me who to protect and who not to. There were people that were good people. And so it was really, uh, he became my friend huh. for 40 years. He just died a few years ago, which is why I wrote about him. And his, his sons didn't know about him. And I, there was a memorial service and I told his sons for the first time what okay. he did. Let's let's just step back for a second. That that story, the big one that Mike the big one, to, yeah. Uh, so the the crimes that you uncovered in this, inside the CIA, um, this program of domestic espionage, assassinations—they were colorful, col colorfully called the family jewels. Right. Just let's walk us through what those. Uh, uh, activities were because there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who don't know the history. No, well, why should you know the history? It's sorted. Why would you want to? But anyway, what the CIA's function was to they were clearly ruled out no no domestic work at all, all foreign. And by the time I their, in their charter, that's in their charter. Forty eight yeah. was set up, and that was a, sort of the Bible, and uh, officially that's what they adhered to. But they were cheating. Johnson got worried that the anti-war movement was was con sponsored by the communists. Excuse me, the Russian communists. And so, um, and, um, um, and so the CIA then, violating every instinct, uh, set up a small team called Chaos, uh, and um, uh, headed by a guy named Dick Ober, O-B-E-R, who worked for Angleton, and they began to collect files on Americans. By the time I got there, they had over 100,000 files. And one of the stories that, I'll just tell you one of the things that tortured me, there was a special section for African-American radicals, like Stokely Carmichael. Like Black but Panther. I, I couldn't get to the what, what, what was going on there, but it couldn't have been good. Yeah. But I, anyway, and so from there, I learned that stuff. I began doing interviews. And um, uh, the thing that's amazing that, that I discovered, the, the CIA did a history, published a history of, uh, of they did an internal classified history of Colby. And it wasn't declassified till just, I think, four or five years, six, seven years ago, whenever. I, so I didn't even know about it until I started this book. And uh, there's a chapter on me. And it turns out I had learned something bad was going on in the CIA in early 1972 when I first joined the Times. But I was doing Vietnam then. I didn't care. I kept, I tried to find out more. They were watching me from 72 on. It's in the book. It's amazing. I'm, almost any conversation I had with people in the CIA or even in justice is recorded. I mean, it's amazing how efficient they are. And that, I mean, word for word. Anyway, it was a little disturbing because I never told anybody in the Times I was working on it. And the, the thing that makes it amazing about newspapers is I don't think we have that now. I had this, uh, Abe Rosenthal, you know, used to, you know, I'm clearly against the war. I worked for G.G. McCarthy, was against the war. But I look at reporters as, of course we have opinions, but I just had root canal. And the guy that did it, I didn't say, are you a Trumpy or a Trumpy, was Trump supporter or not? I didn't care. He's a pro. We're professionals, too. So I can, I, he used to come into the office, Abe, and give me a Bill Murray rub. You know, those little, um, rub your hair. Yeah, well, what did he call you? <laughs> he called me, I was my little commie today. My right? little commie, yeah. And, but then well, the, the next sentence, but the next sentence was, what do you have for me today? Right. right. So anyway, so I, I don't tell the New York Times what I'm doing. 
until December 20th, 1974, two days before the Times ran that story. In other words, they didn't vet it. They didn't have lawyers come in. I didn't put, I wasn't right. putting, the, nobody asked me my sources because they did early on. Right. And my sources were always pretty they, trust, su- they trusted you. They were surprisingly good. There were people that they couldn't believe would talk to me, and that's the way it works. Can I just stop you right there? Because I asked a question which actually dates back to a year or so earlier when you first tell Max Frankel, oh, you're yeah. the editor, about the story, what you got and the stories you want to write. And what he writes you a memo back in which says, be sure to run it by Henry and Dick. Right. And you write, I was horrified and then realized if I could not find a way to get what I knew into the paper, I would have to resign. Run it by Henry and Dick, that's Kissinger, and and Helms, Helms, the director of the CIA. They were the architects of the idiocy idiocy and criminality (laughs) I was desperate to write about. (laughs) Well... What happened is, look, let me say about Max Frankel. It turned out his mind was somewhere else. He was in the big, there was a lot of bad blood between Washington and, and New York, a lot of bad blood, particularly about Watergate that, 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 at the time. And he also was in running to have for a big job. So, and Max, I, lay, I, didn't, I didn't like what he did, to put it mildly. I was, I was going to quit. And then the Times, I got a call from Clifton Daniel, the, the son-in-law of... Um, of the president who married Margaret, Margaret, remember him? Uh, he married her, he married <laughs> Margaret the, Truman. Margaret yeah, who, Truman, by the yeah. way, was actually a good pianist, uh, as I later learned, <laughs> and wrote some spy novels. Spy that, novels, yeah. That yeah. weren't bad. Yeah. Anyway, Clifton was, I always thought, a very urbane, a practice, um, a North Carolina journalist. Yeah. And he was an editor at the Times, and he called me, he <laughs> said, he said, I don't know how I'm, I am mouthy. He said, I hear you're really happy and ready to get out of there. Yeah. He said, stay put. I'm going to make it happen for you. And so he did. Right. And so that was very relieving. And, but here's the point about, about I'd done all these stories. I'd done a lot of stories on secrecy and the Vietnam War. I'm working with Abe. So I call up Abe on about 11 o'clock on December the 20th. I've just seen Colby for the last time, and Colby thought he had me handled. He said, oh, it wasn't as bad as that. Maybe we did some wiretaps, and maybe we did that. But he, whatever it is, and that was it. I'd been For two years, I'd been saving string on it, and I, Abe had no idea. And he said, they're spying on Americans? I said, yes. He said, so go write it. So I went and I wrote it. I wrote 7,500 7, words overnight. Right. And it just wrote itself in a way. I made a lot of calls. Actually, I called uh, Ober up at home. You know, only our CIA would list their phone numbers. You know, so maybe they're. I mean, I mean it's true. You could find anybody in this. Once you, if he's in the back black. then. Well, he's in the black. You're not right. supposed to know him. Right. But once you get the name, you know, I'm sure Angleton was in the phone book in Virginia. Yeah. I mean, it's comical. Yeah. So I call him, and he says, "I don't know what you're talking about." And I said, "Well, Ames uh, Angleton's saying that you ran the program." I knew from Kylie that he. Angleton was deeply involved. But I, Angleton says, you ran the program. We had nothing to do with it. And I just want you to know it. And here's my phone number. About an hour later, he calls back. And he says, he's dead now. I can tell this story. I'm not taking the fall for Angleton, he said. <laughs> so I, I go on and collecting. I tried to get uh, Sandy Berger then was working, the National Security Advisor later yeah. for Clinton, was working as an aide to uh, Muskie. Ed, Muskie. Ed Muskie. And I like Sandy. He was a good guy. And I said, hey, you want to be president? I got a story for you. 
called me back a, a day later. This is mu typical musky. And now he, he does, I, and hours later, he called me back and he said, Ed doesn't think he wants to take a chance on this, right? There goes the, you know, he could have. Right. He All been, right, so anyway. you're, you, you got the story. You're writing the story. It's a couple, it's like, what, the night before it's, it's going to be published? Uh, it's Sunday, the deadline for the Sunday Times was big, 1.6 million then. Right. And uh, the first 600,000 had to be on planes going to the West Coast. I mean, it was a real, it's a real newspaper. So this then. is a Friday night. I'm presumably. writing, I start writing Friday night. I'm in the Saturday. Okay, and you're not getting the space Oh, you that need. story, yeah. Okay. Well, Tell, since we're telling uh, uh, Abe Rosenthal stories. <laughs> All this right, is, uh, so you're not getting the space you need, so well, you're Abe, pissed Abe, and well, you Abe make a told, phone call. There's a bullpen, they call it, for the Sunday paper, and a guy named yeah. Abe Jenkins ran it. And yeah. so I, I used to write a lot for the Sunday paper, save good stories. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a boy. I'm a little boy there. I'm going. And... Um, I'm filing about 4,000 words into it. I didn't start writing. I spent three or four hours just calling everybody and making sure everybody was on board, trying to get a congressman, senator on board. I did get church later, but that was later. And so I forgot about getting a congressman, and I start writing. And some stories, you know, I'd done so much work. Seven, two years, I knew that story. And I just I found a way to get it in. Now, Kobe had left the door open. I, and by the way, when I call Ober up, and we have the, he calls me back and he says, I'm not taking the fall. He doesn't say it's off the record. He knows I'm not going to drop his name. Right. They all know that. That's, right. So that's a touch. And so Kobe knows I'm not going to you know, right. drop his name except officially. And so uh, about 2.30 in the morning, Dev Jenkins, who makes up the Sunday paper, he said, Cy, what, what are you doing here? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Abe said you're going to have a good story for, for Sunday. And so I scheduled about you know, two, three columns, 2,500 words, 2,000 words, or 800 words in the column, whatever. He said, but you've, you're way over, so we have to hold it a day, or, or you want to cut it off. I said, are you out of your freaking mind? Are you reading the story? But, you know, guys don't read stories. They're looking at space. Yeah. You, know, you know, read this. I, anyway. So, a story that's going to blow the lid uh, off the CIA. It's gonna and, say, he's yeah. saying you don't have space. And so, yeah. so I, I then said, I got to find Abe. I'm in the, I love being in the bureau late at night by myself. There's a guy with a teletype, and it's me, and a couple of guys washing windows, whatever they do. It's wonderful to be there. And so I'm sitting at some desk. Anyway, so I go, and I have to poke around the editor's desk, the day city editor's desk, and find a list of the of the names of uh, the home phone numbers. I'd met his wife, Ann, once, but I, I don't do social with, with editors. I just don't do it. Can't, I don't want to do it. Don't do it. So I, did, I met her once. And so I call up, and it rings and rings, no answer. I call up again, and finally she picks up the phone. I said, uh, hi, and Mrs. Wilson, Ann? Yeah, hi, Seymour Hirsch, hi. I need a very much, please. She said, what are you talking about? I said, I I'm out of the gossip, clearly. And I said, I need him right now. There's a crisis here. And didn't she, I, I didn't use all the language it's in like the It's like 2 in the morning, right? What's, Maybe 2.30, 3 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, okay. And, and so she said, Something vulgar about a woman. He said, "Go find his, you know, big whatever woman." He found. He, Go find his woman. He's left me goodbye. Hangs up. So I'm in the middle of a soap opera. So, but <laughs> you just found out your editor has left his wife for another woman. Apparently, half the newspaper paper knew it. But what do I know? Right, I'm, right. So I, anyway, I may be good at gossip about the CIA, but not so good. On so was side. her name in the phone book? Well, what happened? No. So, so what happens? And I call back Ann. Because I have no option. I, you this, call her back. Oh yeah. <laughs> the woman you just woke up. Yeah. And and, and I, I call her back. For and she gets on the phone. Yeah. I said, Ann, I know this is awful, but you you were you were a newspaper editor's wife for thirty years, so I'm going to ask you something. I need the woman's name. She yeah. said, Are you? <laughs> and she she get she gave it to me. 
So you got the girlfriend's but, but, name, but it wasn't from because, the ex-wife. She, because I said I'm doing a story that you'll be glad to see in the paper tomorrow. Yeah. I know you will. Yeah. She said, long silence. She gave me the name, but of course, this the name was she was a prominent person. Of course, nobody in New York's listed. So I then had to call up my agent, <laughs> woke him up, <laughs> because they have they represent people in that world she's in. I don't want to say more than that. But anyway. And so I got an unlisted phone number for her. Now it's about another half hour. I'm, I'm off the wall. Yeah. You know, 2,500 words. I know I'm going to write 7,000 words. I know that's what it takes to fill the page. I knew I had that much coming. And so I called that number. And she has Anne's, the, the, the Anne's phone didn't have a, it just kept on ringing. And this one has a cutoff after five times. And I dial it a couple of times. I, maybe the second or third time. She picks it up, and I said, "Look, I don't care what's going on there. I don't, I don't. I Abe's there. Tell him I gotta talk to him." She said, "I beg your pardon. Look, just get him on the phone." <laughs> so, long two minutes later, he said, "This better be good. He's fun. He can be very funny, Abe." He yeah. said, "I talk, blah blah blah. I go blah 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 blah." He said, oh, oh, oh. "Okay, shut up." He says, oh, "Give me your phone number." I said, "I don't know. I'm at some desk." He called me a nimbusal impulse. He said, "You idiot." Look at the phone number. Give me the number there. You know, I can't call the switchboard. So I find a number. Uh, this is the number. He says, hang up. Five minutes later, he calls back. Okay. And this is a true story. How can I not tell you this? He said, okay, tomorrow's New York Times is going to have 1.6 million more pages. On one side is going to be a house ad. On the other side is going to be your cockamamie. Your cockamamie <laughs> so story. So he added a page to the newspaper. He said, which gonna, costs money, but, which is uh, hard to do at that time. Right, but... but but hold on. And then he gave me a series of threats that you don't ever want to have. If I ever yeah. told anybody this story, he's yeah. been dead. So it's okay. Yeah. So And they did it. All they right. ran well, it the I, I got to say, I've heard lots of stories about journalistic tenacity, getting big stories. But I, this one, I think, takes the cake. <laughs> getting the g- girlfriend of the editor from the uh, spurned uh, wife, uh, you know. But, uh, but you know, and on you one can, of the biggest stories of your career, you could say I'm ob- I'm 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 some sort of weird, you know, un untruculent, unfeeling person. But there was no question that that story had to be in the paper. Right. And that to me was the most important thing. Well, I, and also what a lot of people don't get is, you know, if you'd done that story at 2000 words, you wouldn't have had all the great reporting backing it up. You wouldn't have had all the context. It wouldn't have had the same credibility, and it might not have had the same impact. Words matter. And and there were seven different people named anonymously, but it was clear. I you know it was seven different, and I I didn't know then how closely the CIA was monitoring me. I didn't know how worried they were about it. I did know the word jewels. I yeah. didn't put that in, right. but I did know that. Um, and um, and that. But the important thing is that story had legs, had impact. But the other important thing Because is, what did it lead to? Well, it led to the yeah. church committee investigation. It led to it led to the first time the church for a lot of flawed investigation. Frank Church was running for president and he was he had promised when they named him chairman that he wouldn't be running, but he was. And that's a flaw. But it also led to legislation that led to the first House and Senate Intelligence Committees. And the uh, modern oversight system. But it's for, gone for now. The for yeah, all, well, yeah the, for all the good that's done. Yeah, well, right. but it, it, it actually was effective for some period but of time. But it's been blown completely apart Well, look at now, the House yeah. Intelligence Committee and how deeply right. polarized well, we'll, they are. We'll, anyway, we'll come back but, to but, that. But, but, but the point is, yeah. but the other point is, um, it's a trust thing, too, that I don't, I, I you can't understand... 
by I went to bed when I got done filing, and about one I woke up about four or five hours in the morning, and there were calls to me, and the the, the concern was, the lawyer didn't call me. Uh, Abe didn't say who are the sources because he'd already gone through that the first couple of months I worked there, and wow. he'd say, "Come on, you can't be." <laughs> I said, "Call wow. him and ask him." So you know, and so, hold on, um, and um, uh, the New York Times, to wing it, it was a massive headline story for to do what they did, based on uh, no excavation of the story, no, let's have a lead meeting on it, just to say, okay, we know you can do it. It was a great, I, f I think it was, it was great for me. It was a compliment for me, but it was also a compliment of our profession. And I, I think that's lost now in the business a little bit. We, you don't have that kind of same, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I, it's not touchy-feely anymore. Well, so one thing I didn't remember uh, but was reminded reading your book is, and this is because the CIA actually uh, did not come out and, uh, and massively deny the story and come after you at that point, no. right? Because Schles James Schlesinger, who had been briefly the CIA director, uh, he actually was con somewhat concerned about what was happening there, totally. right? And, totally. and so And so, and, and had actually begun some kind of a review. Is he alive? Did he Schlesinger? Die? I don't think so. Okay, well, I'll tell you. Uh, I don't know. I went, Checkable. I, yeah. No, no, our, uh, I'll just tell you. Our producer is uh, uh, madly uh, Googling no, right no, now. No, no. But the point is, I did talk to him, obviously, and he was very, he didn't help me much, except he said one thing. He had started the investigation that led to the comp compilation, 700-page paper that we've never seen the whole thing on. We've just never seen it all. I, so there's a lot more there. It's never, we're never going to see it. And then he said to me, he said, you know, once... Those guys in the DO, the Operations Division, he said, I can tell you, he said, once I ordered an, a, a compilation of every single wrongdoing, I had to hire private guards to go to the agency, come back and forth. There were so many <laughs> threats made. I had to hire a Pinkerton team to drive me there and drive me back. Wow. Well, Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's, yeah. wow. What amazes me is how many people did talk to you from inside the CIA. And there's one exchange um, uh, from a tape phone call that Schlesinger's predecessor, uh, Bill Colby, right. who you did talk to right. quite a bit for that story, just as you talked to Angleton, uh, even though you point out he was often drunk by that time. Right. Um, that might have helped. Is, uh, this is a conversation Colby is having with Lawrence Silberman, who was at the Justice Department then, later went on to be deputy, a federal de appellate de de deputy, deputy attorney general. Right. So I'm just going to read this um, uh, from the tape, the transcript of, of that phone call. Colby, I'm absolutely staggered that he, Hirsch, knew that I was going to see you. Silberman, the SOB has sources that are absolutely beyond comparison. Colby, he knows more about this place than I do. Well, that was an exaggeration, but All he right. was very angry. But you have to understand what I did. Once I know how bad it is, I call Larry. Yeah. Phone book. Right. I don't know him well. I met him once. And I say, have they come to you with the crimes they know about? He said, what are you talking about? He went nuts. He said, you know, these guys are trying to rely on a 1949 re ruling that they could decide what's legal or not. This one, they were, there was a lot of blood being shed. The Russians right. were shedding it too. I mean, it was a cold war, a bad, a wet opticist. Mm -hmm. And so he was, so at that point, he's on my side here. I mean, what the hell? And, and he, later there's a quote in there where he says to Kobe, Bill, you're not going to be able to get away with this by saying you have some prior approval. It's not going to happen. Don't even – and Larry – I like Larry. He's very conservative, but he's a totally honest guy. I saw him on the street the other day. He's retired. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah okay, up, yeah, up in northwest Washington. All right, so, so this story – 
led to the actually it was first the Rockefeller Commission appointed right. by Ford. Um, you learn at this <laughs> off the record conversation that Rosenthal and the other senior New York Times editors have with Ford about what the Rockefeller Commission is uncovering, and then uh, uh, Ford makes a reference to assassinations, and then hastily says, "But that's off the record." So the Times knows that the CIA has conducted assassinations, um, and you find out what Ford had said. And a certain editor also knew that I knew there had been assassinations before that meeting. Right. And so they decide after the meeting, the publisher was there, and I think Clifton Daniel was there. They decide, with some disagreement, Tom Wicker was there. They decide they're going to honor the commitment to Ford. And so... The halcyon days are over. There was a period where we ran, where we in the media, as you know, you were, you know, we're all, you know, you, you may have been too young for it. You were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, you got the paper because that's where the truth was. Yeah, yeah. And so we, that's over. And of course, you know, as you know, I had a hissy fit. Yeah. And that's, <clears throat> and we went on. What can I do? Yeah. You know, and um, <laughs> um, I thought, you know, um, I went nuts. Right. But Tom Wicker, actually, who was a columnist for the Times, encouraged you to report about the CIA assassination. Tom Wicker also came and told me what happened at the meeting, which right. was uh, what, what I think he wasn't supposed to do. Tom's, I love Tom. He was a wonderful man. He'd go to North Carolina. And, you know, when I joined the Times, the columnists were Russell Baker, Tony Lewis, and Tom yeah. Wicker. I mean, come on. You know, I, I, look, today there's a... a Constant focus on Trump, which is okay. I mean, I understand that, but come on, Yemen once in a while. How about what's going on at the border, taking babies away from mothers? I mean, there are columns other than Trump to write about. That's one of the things right. I believe in. So anyway, keep on going. All right. So look, in, in my intro, I made the point that um, this story, which is the one I wanted to focus on, because it did lead to the Rockefeller Commission, the Church com uh, Church Committee, the disclosure about other CIA abuses, assassinations uh, uh, around the world, attempted assassinations, uh, plots against Castro. Um, and it did help to shape the concept of the deep state. Um, I think it, you could probably date it to some degree, that, that idea uh, emerging out of the stories that flowed from your reporting during that era. And I just wonder, when you see Donald Trump um, exploiting that concept to deflect from the investigations against him. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is that if you want to, I don't know what deep state is, the problem is it has such a conspiratorial overtone, but my first thought is, I'll just refer you to a study that was done at, at the Watson Institute at Brown University. It was published a couple of months ago, nobody cared. Didn't have Trump in the headline. And it, it said that right now the United States is engaged in 76 oper military operations, most of them clandestine, most of them running by the Joint Special Operations Command. And I will tell you right now, if there is a deep state, it relies with these, these guys running around, mostly in Africa, in small units, doing hits. When everything, something comes up and there's some guy killed and they have to do an investigation, if you want to believe what they're telling you, forget it. It's a real problem. We are basically running a, a covert operation out of control with the military, and that's one problem. About the other deep state, Trump interests me. I don't like him. I don't like the tweets. 
I'm interested because I say to myself, but oh, you don't you don't write about them. You don't write about them not in the yet. book at all. No, I've been working. Okay. I've been working hard. I've been working. I've been working on one thing involving Trump now since 2012. I mean, it involves other things, but no, I've been working. Um, um, he's in. You got to remember, he took down. There were 13 Republican candidates with maybe 200 to 250 years of political experience. He expunged them. He got rid of the Bush dynasty. Then he takes. He gets rid of the Clinton dynasty, and he now he's the tweet master. Um, I'm going to go to South Korea, news, a couple of days of that. Then it sort of slows down. I'm not going to go. And he's got it going again. Then I know. And I'm not sure he's, he's not, in some sense, uh, running a show that we can tell you, if you look at the polling for the last couple of months, he's gone up seven or eight points. And why? He's been attacked viciously for almost everything he does. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be. I'm just saying. But you think he's underestimated. I, t- I know he's underestimated. I know he's underestimated. I, mean, I do know some things about him. He's, he doesn't read. He's, um, I, I would argue that in terms of Mueller's problem of, of getting a, a, some collusion, I, I think you're gonna, it's very hard to, to believe that this guy takes step one knowing what step two is going to be, which is the, what's the mens rea you need for collusion because he's impulse. But I know he knows things that he doesn't tell anybody, things that would change. The, I know that. What do you mean? I know he knows a lot about the, the history of the last year and a half, two years. And, you know, I'll, there's some tells, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. Um, I, I still have friends. And you're, I still have friends that do it. I, I, I don't have friends that, you know, like Colby, pretend that I know what, what he, you know, you know, Colby got something out of me, too. He wanted to get rid of Angleton. And by telling me that stuff, he knew it would be, a, I don't think he realized how big it would be. Because I wasn't telling him everything. I, I only told him a little bit of what I knew. And he thought that story would write would cause some anger, and he could fire. He did fire Angleton. But, so anyway, I'm just saying that I'm, I'm prepared to say that I have to write it, and I have to make sure it's checked. But I'm prepared to say that on some levels, um, I think the Democrats are making a huge mistake, and I'm not a political expert. I never color politics. I worked in it for a little while, and I hate it. When I worked for McCarthy after four months, I said, oh, you got to be kidding. There's got to be more than that. Went back to journalism. And, and um, uh, Hillary ran against them for two months and lost. And whether you want to argue that uh, you can make the case that the Russians won the election for him, but you've got to be empirical about it, and I haven't seen anything empirical yet. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I just haven't seen anything empirical. Well, it's probably well, impossible, you know, to, to, to determine what tipped the scales in an election. How could you possibly do, you well, believe, do, do that? Do you believe uh, the intelligence community assessment that the Russians uh, tried to intervene on Trump's behalf, uh, setting aside the question of whether uh, they helped him win the election, but they intervened? That's what the intelligence committee has said with, with a high well, degree of confidence, as they would put it. Uh, anytime I hear the word high degree of confidence, I know from people who write these things, that means we don't know Jack. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Yeah. We had high degree of confidence for two years about the WMD in Iraq. Right. And, you know, I mean, who's kidding who? I, I, I would point out that the uh, House Republicans on the Int- House Intelligence Committee Republicans who had every motivation to try to debunk the Russia story um, in their report um, – uh, endorsed the idea that the Russians had um, intervened in the election, had hacked the DNC, and provided the documents Absolutely. to uh, uh, WikiLeaks. You, so, I, I, I would just say, generally, 
the notion of weaning a, a conservative Republican from hatred of Russia is almost impossible. I would just say that to begin with. I mean, that's also true. And I also say, if you, uh, somebody who I've worked with Congress on some stuff, one of the things that happens all the time is that, uh, it's embarrassing to say this, but even in the Intelligence Committee, nobody reads nothing. Right. I'm telling you, they just don't. There's a few guys, Gaudi, the Congress. Yeah, the other the part, most of them just, I'm serious. I worked, I, I worked for a senator when right. I worked for McCarthy. Right. Okay, he's on the Foreign Relations Committee. He's got an extremely high IQ. Very bright. Um, stuff would come for me to read. I didn't have a clearance. And he didn't want to hear it. Right. I mean, stuff would come. There was an issue about tech nukes in February of 2012 that never, I, I, don't, I can't talk about because it's, I, I, even though I didn't have a clearance, I'm reading his stuff because he doesn't want to read it. Mm -hmm. And you ask anybody how it works. You get a paper done. The staffers do a paper. You get an executive brief. This happens for the bureaucracy, for the Secretary of Defense. You get an executive brief for three pages, and then at the last minute when the, the secretary is going to meeting, you give him a one-page summary. The yeah. secretary. Right. So, no, I get I, that. I, but I, look, but, every case is, is individual to itself, is sui generis, and you have to look at what the evidence is absolutely. On, uh, you know, in every particular instance. And I would point out that um, look, you all your great stories about the intelligence community was was uh, only came about because insiders who knew the real truth would tell them to you. At this point, we have no insider who has come forward or whistleblower who has suggested that the intelligence community assessment about Russia was wrong. I spend my career filling that hole. Filling right. that gap, I'm the I'm the mortar that comes in. No, I get I will that. tell you right now, there is a, a a totally another level to this story. But I I may not, you know, I couldn't publish my Cheney book because I wrote a book on Cheney. I spent years writing it before I wrote this book. I couldn't publish it because the guys involved, you know, there is a super cadre of there are people that in the community that are just you can't let them go. They're just too bright, too incisive. No matter. Who's president? There's still people that have to be relied on, particularly in the world, as you call it, the deep state, the black world, the covert right. world. Right. And I will just tell you, there's another story to be had. I'm not sure I'd be able to, I couldn't publish the book because Obama was putting pressure on people. He prosecuted a, a guy in the National Security Council. Um, he, he, he put a, uh, one of Jim Risen's persons was put right. in jail. They tortured Jim Risen. They went to every source Risen had. And we're, we we're, had him on we last just, week, by the way. Oh, well, Jim's yeah. a great guy, yeah. and he's a good guy. And I'll tell you something about Jim. Uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know Jim until he was at the Times after me, but I got to know him, and he has sources. He well, really, me, and they weaned him from the sources. I wanna, they, they scared the sources off. They, were, they, they did a job to say CIM. Let me ask you, because I was just thinking uh, – how do you assess the state of investigative reporting today? I mean, there are there are the Jim Risens, but we also talk about all the Times and Washington Post reporters doing these Trump stories. It's the new golden age of investigative reporting. Do you do you buy that? I mean, do you think uh, we're as good as we were um, in in your? I, I think your, that I think that the the, the instinctive and rational dislike of Trump because he's not what we you know we've never had anything like that before. And I think, the, and his big mouth and his yelling and his screaming and his firing and the people he brings in, are, they're so appalling. And I think that sometimes overrides the common sense. I think it's a distraction. Yeah, because you focus on, you know, I, I write, I'll see a story in one of the New York Times in Washington, but according to 19 sources, Trump was <laughs> had a, a hissy fit the other day and said this or that. And I'm thinking, 
Meanwhile, we're killing people like crazy in Yemen. He's got 74, five operations going on. These guys in the special forces community can just tell any story about what happened in Mali they want. I'm telling you, they're just winging it. And it all goes down because you're not... You're not looking there. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying it's allocation of resources. There's very good reporters, just as good as at any time. A lot of guys that, uh, I don't know many of them, but the Post has a bunch of good guys. Uh, the, you know, I'm, the bunch of guys who used to work at the AP that are very yeah. good reporters. By yeah. the way, have you watched this uh, Showtime documentary on the New I, York Times uh, coverage of Trump? My gallbladder won't let me. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking they're also. I mean, I know all these all these people. Give me a and break. They're, they're also earnest give, and give me uh, a break and restrained. And I keep thinking, if only uh, yeah. a uh, young Cy Hirsch no, was no. in that. Uh, well, I would film would be a lot not, more fun. They're not rebels in the same way. No, and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it on camera. It wouldn't get me near one of those things. Yeah. But the whole idea that you do one of the things tells you what, what's going on in the media all today. Right. All, all right, 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 right before well, we leave. Well, just so we don't leave the skull, uh, the uh, buried treasure audience hanging, our crack researcher, producer, Kelly Hill, yeah. uh, did look up James, James Lesser. He, he died in 2014. Yeah. So Good. Then we won't sure assign we... anybody to interview him and, or have him as a guest on uh, uh, on our podcast. Uh, the book is Reporter, a memoir by Seymour Hirsch. We've only scratched the surface of the great stories in this uh, in this book. Sai, uh, thanks for stopping by. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sai. Thanks to Seymour Hirsch for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you.